Welcome to the Vanguard Bible Church podcast. For more information about Vanguard Bible Church, visit www.vanguardbible.org or come worship with us on Sunday mornings at 9 a.m. at Freedom Middle School in Northwest Bakersfield. We hope you enjoy today's message. All right, let's do this. Good morning, church. I'm going to read Revelation chapter 3, verses 14 through 22. And to the angel of the church in Laodicea, Laodicea, right, the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation, I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing, not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire so that you may be rich, and white garments so that you may clothe yourself, and the shame of your nakedness may not be seen, and salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see Those whom I love, I reprove and discipline. So be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. The title of our sermon today is Grace to the Gross. Grace to the Gross. Let me pray for us. Lord, you are reigning, awesome, good, merciful, There isn't a person in here who you haven't shown more mercy than they deserve. Me, more than anyone else here. Give us, Lord, your spirit to convict us this morning. To help us realize, to end in worship, all the grace you've shown us repeatedly. Show us, Lord, open our eyes, heal our eyes to see our true spiritual state. Let us not read about churches like this, like Laodicea. Let us not look at ourselves and assume that we're better for whatever reason. Convict us, Lord, to your glory. Open the eyes of our hearts, Lord, this morning. You are faithful, you are true. Speak to our hearts, Lord, speak to our minds. Comfort us, O Comforter, our King. We need you this morning more than ever. May your word comfort us this morning and inspire us, Lord, to come to Jesus, to be like Jesus, to look forward to seeing him face to face and sitting on his throne with him, which is very hard to even fathom. But let us... Help us, Lord, to do just that this morning, to your glory. Amen. 
So the church we're going to look at this morning is Laodicea. Just like last week, it is okay to pronounce this however you want. Laodicea is perfectly reasonable. I'm going to pronounce it five different ways this morning. It's okay. It's still the same church. Don't wonder if it's another sister church. It's the same one. But before we look at this church, I want us to look at the context and city of this church because as you guys already know by this point, their context is really going to speak into how the letter speaks to them specifically. And maybe at this point in your life, you never realized that. I've studied Revelation for over 20 years and it didn't occur to me till going through this series just how much the context spoke into what was happening to them. It is beautiful, it is amazing. I don't know how long I've been a Christian now, but scripture, every time I come to it, I find something new and I could text somebody and call somebody. And did you realize this? Did you see this connection? It has never stopped church. As a, as, as a young believer, I always thought, well, I hope this is still exciting like a year from now. It's mind-blowing, mind-melting near 30 years into my walk with Jesus. And so let's look at... Uh, Laodicea, the city. What is most prominent about this city is that it is rich. It is rich. Just if you ever watch like DuckTales, Uncle Scrooge swimming in coins, like that's what the streets would be like in this city. They had banks, industries, theaters, gymnasiums, anything that you could want in this culture, anything you could dream of would be in this city. In fact, you may recall uh, uh, last week we talked about the earthquake of AD 17 that destroyed the city of uh, Philadelphia. And it was going to lay destroyed, except that Emperor Tiberius said they didn't have to pay taxes, and he gave them money to rebuild. This city said, no thanks. They flexed. They said, Emperor, we, like, we got so much money, we're going to rebuild this ourselves, which they did. Money is not an issue for, for, the, for this church. And so, or this city, sorry. And so there's three more interesting things to see in this city that will help us understand the letter. The first is their medicine, um, especially health-wise, health clubs, um, you name it. Uh, and specifically, uh, medicine, eye medicine. So they had eye salve, which I think we even have samples of that they've discovered. This is a huge thing that this area was known for. Second, they were known for having black wool. So, I don't know, this may have been, been where like the goth scene uh, originated, but they had plenty of soft, good, black wool. And third, Laodicea did not have a fresh water source. Of all the money they had, and all the resources they had, they had everything but a fresh water source. Instead, they needed their neighbors. One was Hierapolis, which had good, hot water. People considered them to be healing waters, almost like spas today. You would get, they had minerals, and so their hot water was, this, this city really loved their water. Uh, Colossi, on the other direction, had refreshingly cold water, like really cold, cold water. Again, healing as well. You, you've probably seen videos about people jumping in ice water to heal themselves. That's what they did, like good cold water. But poor uh, Laodicea had no water source, so they had to pipe all their water in. 
By the time it got to them, whether it was hot or cold, it got to them lukewarm and through the pipes, so it was gross. This will come back, right? <laughs> and so what about the church? Well, it's a lukewarm church. Verses 15 and 16. I know your works. You are neither cold nor hot. Would that you were either cold or hot. One's not better than the other. So because you are lukewarm and neither hot nor cold, I will spit you out of my mouth. And so there's nothing pleasing about them. This is the only church in and of the churches of Revelation, though there's not a single good thing about them. Even the churches that were tolerating and compromising and the church that was dead all had something that Jesus says, like, yeah, but I'm going to give you props. At least you got that. At least you have good coffee or good program, something. This church, no, nothing. They're just a lukewarm church, and they don't care. That is why they receive the harshest criticisms. By far the harshest criticisms. And you may be sitting there this morning thinking like, lukewarm? That doesn't sound so bad. I've been called worse. But in their context, in their hearts, knowing they wanted hot water, they wanted cold water, they knew what it was like to have that desire and just have something that was lukewarm. This cut them deeply. This is serious to them. An equivalent to us might be Jesus coming to us and saying, you're about as good as the air quality of Bakersfield. Right? Hey, ouch, I know, I'm here. I live here. But the context is what makes this difficult, just like you would take that more personally than someone somewhere else. So what exactly is the problem with this church? And the answer is idolatry. They are idolaters. And we begin to find this in verse 17. For you say, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. They just told Jesus they need nothing. So you see they have an idol. They're worshiping something, and it's not Jesus, because no Jesus, we're good. They've made an idol out of money. The irony is they are not lacking in trust or faith or devotion. They have trust and faith and devotion. It is just to money. Their God money. Just like they told, told Rome, they don't need Rome's assistance in rebuilding. They have money. They have now told Jesus they don't need Jesus. They have money. They have so much money they are blinded to their spiritual condition. Their bank account looks good, so they figure they look good, which is unfortunately a measurement of even churches in our day. They think they're good. Jesus says there's nothing good about them. We can't measure spiritual success or maturity or blessing by money. What's interesting here and key is the fact that in Revelation, every time the word rich is used, it's not just talking about money. It's not talking about money just as a neutral thing because it's not a bad thing in and of itself. Every time it's used... It's in a negative way. Every time it's used, it's about unbelief. It is about Babylon. Is it, about, is it, it is about merchants 
who are working with the Antichrist. It, it is the money of the system that, that is not the church. It is not neutral. It's not just money. It's really ugly money. In Revelation 18.3, it says, For all the nations have drunk the wine of the passion of her sexual immorality, and the kings of the earth have committed immorality with her, and the merchants of the earth have grown rich from the power of her luxurious living. And so you have rich tied into all those horrible things. So it's not just money. It is ugly, sinful money. Again, the problem isn't that they have money. The point of this passage isn't money bad. It's not a bad thing. It's a bad thing because it looks like here how they obtained it is pretty wicked. It doesn't tell us, but the church is probably compromised in some way, is benefiting, right? Every other church is facing persecution. This church just says we have a lot of money. Something is taking place under the table somehow. And Jesus is calling them out on it. They don't think they need anything from Jesus. And Jesus says, you guys don't even have anything. They are deceived and blinded by riches. And speaking of being blind, they are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Where do I get that? Verse 17, where it says, For you say, I am rich, I have prospered. Notice they don't give God credit. I have prospered and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. Boy, that's pretty specific. I wonder if that's going to come up again in a couple of verses. But now, let's explore the best part of this passage. Let, let's start talking about Jesus in this passage. How does Jesus address this church who he's clearly not happy with, does not have anything good to say? about. Verse 14. The words of the Amen, or Amen. The faithful and true witness, the beginning of God's creation. Let's explore this beautiful and powerful introduction of Jesus. Who is Jesus? Jesus is the Amen, or Amen, tomato, tomato, it's okay. Amen here is a name. Amen is his name here. Did you know that amen has a meaning? Did you know it just doesn't go at the end like a punctuation of a prayer? Did you know it doesn't just go at the end of a prayer for you to know that the prayer is done? But it's helpful, right? The word amen has several meanings, meanings including let it be and may it come to pass and faithful and true. Faithful and true is what Jesus is talking about here with the name Amen. And it's not that I'm being terribly insightful here. It just says the words of the Amen, the faithful and true witness. So we know that's verifying. This is how he wants you to interpret Amen here. But what about the part about the witnesses? Well, he's the contrast to Laodicea. He's the contrast. He is faithful. They are not. They are blah. They are ugh, ick, gross. Spit it out. That's what this church is. Jesus is amen awesome. And 
Now, Jesus ends his introduction with the words at the end of verse 14, the beginning of God's creation. Now, if any of you aspire or are aspiring to be a heretic, I hope not, but go ahead and interpret this verse as meaning that Jesus was the first created being. Kind of looks like it says that, if you haven't read the rest of the Bible. But I hope your apocalyptic antennas went off and you thought, man, that sounds just like Revelation chapter 1, verse 5. Pat yourself on the back. Where it says, and from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. And so that's how they link. And so the beginning of God's creation is the firstborn of the dead. That's how that works. Jesus wasn't the first created being. He was the firstborn of the dead, ushering in an age where he's going to recreate everything to his glory. And this echoes Colossians 1.18, where Paul writes, And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. Let's go deeper. The only other time in the Bible, amen, is used as a name. It's in Isaiah 65, verses 16 and 17, where in this case, amen, is translated as truth. Isaiah writes, so that he who blesses himself in the land shall bless himself by the God of truth. Amen. And he who takes an oath in the land shall swear by the God of truth, because the former of troubles are forgotten and hidden from my eyes. For behold, I create a new heavens and new earth, and the former things shall not be remembered or come into mind. It's almost like the same person wrote the entire Bible. Just throwing that out there. How crazy and beautiful is that? Of course that's a cross-reference. It shall come to pass, it shall come to be, the one who is named Amen shall recreate everything. There's going to be a day, church, when, when everything that we've done is going to be forgotten, when all the nonsense that we've gotten up to as humanity, destroying his creation, even his church, just making a mess of everything, no one's even going to remember it because he's recreating all of it, starting with you. I'm sorry, starting with Jesus and now us. I don't want to be a heretic. And so why would Jesus introduce himself as the one who rebuilds, who recreates, the one who died and has been raised to life, the firstborn of all creation? Why would he do this? Somebody asked me why. Thank you. Great question. So to begin to understand this, we've got to go back a couple weeks, a couple of miles to the church of Sardis, the church that was dead and had a chance at life, where Jesus introduces himself as the one who has the Holy Spirit. And he says, if you would just take hold of what remains, if you would wake up, this doesn't have to die. If you would wake up and take hold of what remains. The church of Laodicea is in a worse position. They're in a worse position. There's nothing to take hold of. There's nothing to inventory. A new name change, a new logo, a new building will not help them. And also, they don't even think they need help. They're not even in that discussion. They have no idea. They are content with their idol of wealth, and they've put their trust in riches. Jesus has every right to show up. 
sword drawn at this point, with the other three horses of the apocalypse, knock down the door and unleash hell on them. They called themselves a church. There's not a single good thing about them. But Jesus, long-suffering and patient, his love and goodness, his irresistible grace, doesn't knock the door down. In verse 20, it says he knocks. He just knocks. Like a handyman at the door, right? He's just knocking at the door. Y'all got problems. I have a list here of things that need to be fixed. I'm literally the only guy who could fix them but you have to let me in. I know everything that's wrong and have every capability that was in the introduction. I can do anything if you just let me in the door to this building you say is about me. He's showing them mercy they don't deserve. He's upset, as, as we can see by the colorful language he uses. I mean, He's about to spit them out. That, that's not an ancient cultural compliment. It means the same thing it means today. It's not good. So how can Jesus, the, the creator, recreator, the true and faithful one, do something with nothing? Not a fixer-upper, but an actual dump. There are two things that need to happen. First, the church of Laodicea, needs to buy from him. So what's their pushback against Jesus? We have so much money, dude, we do not need you, unless you need to borrow money. But what it says here, in verse 18, I counsel you to buy from me gold refined by fire, so that you may be rich and white garments so that you may clothe yourself. And the shame of your nakedness may not be seen. And salve to anoint your eyes so that you may see. Did you catch the mercy there? Of all the things that Jesus could have done to this church, he counsels them. Let's talk about it. And so, Laodicea must buy from Jesus. Things they think they have plenty of. This is insulting. Again, think about the context. How insulted would you be? Jesus is saying they need riches, you know, and clothes and medicine for their eyes. And they're like, Jesus, we have all that stuff. And they're, they're insulted that, that Jesus would even ask. And so... Imagine somebody coming up to somebody in Bakersfield and trying to sell them oil or produce or a bad reputation. No, I think we're good, actually. And so he starts off by pointing out their poverty, which they perceive to be riches. He calls their riches poverty. He says they don't even know they're, they're, they're poor. 
And the problem is their money is dirty. It's evil. And the solution isn't necessarily a, a cleaner transactions. We're not talking about having more um, honest money necessarily, although that would be better because the issue Jesus is talking about is spiritual. He's saying they are spiritually poor, especially for a group that would call themselves the church. To be rich is to have the blood of Jesus Christ and the purity that comes with it. So he's acknowledging they're rich, but at the same time saying, like, in what? Second, they must buy clothes. They don't need fine black wool that is available. All that awesome clothes, all those awesome flat caps that it could have been made from that awesome black material. It's like, you guys don't need that. What you guys need is white garments. The one Jesus is wearing in chapter 1, verse 18, pure garments that show loyalty to him, that show purity, to show that you're on team Jesus, to show that you are unstained by the world. Such purity and beauty can only come from Jesus. Yes, you can buy white clothes. Yes, you can buy bleach. Not this white. Not this pure. Third, Laodicea must buy eye salve or, or eye medicine. Again, highly popular item. They, they probably have plenty of this at their house. They certainly don't think they need eye medicine, except they do. They are, they are spiritually blind. They need to see how blind they are. How tough is that? To have to need to see how blind you are. But again, Jesus. Who can make the blind see? Jesus. Who can recreate anything? Jesus. And so he's their solution outside the door, right? Knocking. And so this church needs resources. They need spiritual resources that only Jesus has. The question is, how do they buy these resources? Well, it says in this passage, they need faith and repentance. Faith and repentance. And I believe the clearest explanation of this is Paul in 2 Corinthians 8, 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sake became poor, so that you by his poverty might become rich. And so the riches of the world will not help them. They need to be rich in faith and repentance and Jesus. Jesus became poor, became man to make them rich in him. He was rich before. How would they become rich? They become rich by getting Jesus' riches, by him becoming poor like them. And here he is knocking at the door, verse 20. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and eat with him and he with me. This is quite the sad picture. I know how this verse is used in different contexts, but this is a heartbreaking picture. This is Jesus standing outside of the door asking for his church to let him in. Right? This letter's to the church. Behold, I am outside of my church. Will you please let me in? 
there's so much grace. He could have knocked the door down. And he's pleading with them. He's knocking. He offers to bring them food. It's like, guys, let me in. I have food. Like, we like food. Of course, he's talking about spiritual food that they need, resources that they need. But that also echoes the fact that he's the bread of life. They need him. Again, I think this echoes Isaiah in chapter 55, 1. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters, and he who has no money, come, buy, and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without any price. What does that mean? Well, he was the price. That's Jesus inviting people to come to him. He is the money that buys all those things. That's what being rich in Christ is. I don't think he cares about the money. He just wants them to know that money isn't everything. The most wonderful things in this galaxy are offered through him. They are offered in him. They are offered to his enemies. He's not just offering this to his enemies. He's offering to a church that's playing church. He's offering to this to a church building that won't let him in. Mercy upon mercy. Please, guys, I am the solution to everything. Please let me into this church. Right? Or, or, or take my name off it, at least. It's pleading with this church. And because it is the church, I think we need to ask ourselves, like, can we see our true spiritual condition? What are we trusting in? Is our spiritual vision clear? Is Jesus the most valuable possession that we have? We have to ask ourselves if we've left Jesus outside the doors of this church because we have another idol. Now, this letter ends with another glorious promise of Jesus in verses 21 and 22. <clears throat> I don't think I got a, my mouth is moist enough. One more point. The one who conquers, there we go. The one who conquers, I will grant him to sit with me on my throne. As I also conquered and sat down with my father on his throne and he who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. If you've ever been to my house, you know I have an awesome black plaid spinning rocking chair. It's my vinyl listening chair. It's my, it's my prayer chair. It's my right of sermon in my head chair. It's pretty cool, right? It's pretty cool, right? Oh, thank you. And you probably also know, I always offer it up. I usually tell people, hey, don't you want to sit here? And that's because I love you. And I offer that up. You may not realize that. You may have a better chair. You probably do. But to me, that's my favorite chair. And I offer it up to whoever comes over because I love you. And I want, that's the way I'm showing love. And no... Um, I, I, this isn't heresy. I'm not comparing that chair to the throne of God. But what a glorious picture of Jesus talking about his throne. 
the chair he's sitting on right now, that he's been on since going from the cross, immediately from, from the cross, being resurrected, appearing to so many, preaching, ascending to that throne he's been sitting on in glory, even today, and he's saying, I'm going to have you come sit on it. The throne he sits on today, one day, if you have faith in Jesus, you're going to sit on that throne with him. It's crazy. It's crazy awesome. And also right next to the Father, in the throne room, in the living room. It can't get any more intimate than that with God. Now, I don't know the math of it. I don't know how even just us here fit on that. I don't know what it looks like, but I believe it. I'm looking forward to sitting on it with you guys. And Jesus is offering it to those who don't care about him. Those who are ruining his name. Jesus is wonderful. And he's kind and merciful. This isn't for his best friends. He's offering it to those who are just dragging his name through the mud. Church, let us by faith follow Jesus, embrace the riches of Jesus that he purchased for us. By the spiritual things needed to know and please him. He's already given us the resources to purchase the things we need through his purchase. The question is, do we have enough faith? Do we believe that he's the person that he introduced, the faithful one, the true one who creates, who recreates, even if things go bad, even if there's a church so lost that they won't even let Jesus in? This offer is to that church. So much grace, so much faithfulness, so much truth. Just as it is true, there is no greater riches than to know Christ. Let me pray. Lord, we do not deserve your mercy. I don't know how you put up with me. I know I have not always represented your name well. I know as a church we have not represented your name well. And I know what we need is faith and repentance. May you offer us that mercy another time for another season, Lord, where we are right now. If we don't have faith in you, then we have nothing. But because of you, we have everything. We are richer than anybody on this planet. Let us richly love you and richly love one another, Lord. You are awesome. Let us not forget it, Lord. Amen. We hope you've enjoyed this Vanguard Bible Church podcast. You can find more sermon messages online at vanguardbible.org. Have a great week, and we hope... We'll see you soon.